Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Yes, he's back again, our favourite friend, Oliver Banks. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, Simon. Wonderful to be back once again. Once again, we've talked a lot this year and we talked a lot on stage just a month ago at the Productivity and Transformation event. Thoughts? Does it feel like a lifetime ago? Does it feel like just yesterday? (laughs) A bit of both, actually, to be perfectly honest. It does seem just yesterday, but also time is whizzing by. And I can't believe it's over a month now since Productivity and Transformation. We've covered so much ground there, thinking about how consumer habits and shopping behaviours are changing, thinking about some of the colleague challenges that all retailers and hospitality businesses are facing right now, thinking, of course, about the cost challenges and what the current financial situation will lead us to, and, of course, tackling how we deliver change as well. So loads of great topics. And uh, I'm sure we'll be having a great conversation today as well, of course, Simon. Absolutely. So we've been reflecting, haven't we, kind of individually and chatting through some of the themes from the day, some of the things that maybe we didn't cover or didn't have time to cover, or the darkness of the power cut meant we couldn't cover. So today, let's jump in, Ollie. And I think the the big thing that struck me, the theme and and not something we discussed before about the whole event and the feedback was that whole spirit of connection did you did you get that i got it in the feedback forms and on the day we're all in this together a bit of that kind of bunker mentality absolutely well firstly events still feel quite fresh and new for people which you know having been to a few myself i was still relatively surprised at but it you know it continues to be great to get together there is that excitement that natural energy of networking and you know we provided quite a bit of time in the agenda to allow people to connect, have a conversation. And people loved it. Of course, Ian Shepard did our closing keynote and the spirit of connection was, I suppose, his punchline, his ultimate takeaway from that close. And that was a fantastic session. So massive thank you to Ian for that. But I I think it is important that we are in this together. Many of the same challenges are experienced by lots of different companies. Of course, there are lots of different intricacies within each of those individual companies, but the same themes resonated, which I think is fascinating. And to me, if we're experiencing the same themes, we absolutely should continue to talk, continue to connect, not just at the event, but but elsewhere. I think it's very easy to lock yourself in a proverbial cupboard and not talk to anyone, think that the world is is at your door, perhaps. But actually, you know, everyone else is feeling exactly the same way. Yeah, I suppose it surprised me. And again, probably back to more of your point, we were, were getting back to events in person, aren't we? But that whole piece of light bulbs coming on for people thinking, actually, ev- everybody's got roughly the same challenges here. Maybe power of communication helps us solve some of those in sharing across industries, but also probably maybe a bit more disappointingly there's no magic answer for different organizations it's a combination of different things that are going to help them get Mm, through it absolutely now simon at the event we had a full day packed of content but perhaps predictably there were many things that we just didn't have time to explore and actually there were many great topics that almost took a, a passing glance in some of the panel discussions or fireside chats and so on that we could have dived deep in and perhaps had a whole other hour's worth of conversation just about those topics. So we wanted to dive into some of those today, right now. 
The first was around new labor models. So this is in reflection to one of the comments on a panel where a retailer had reset the rules of engagement over COVID. They'd redesigned and launched a new labor model. Simon, why is this something really interesting to to talk about? So I think it's interesting because we've seen a, a number of different ways people have used or not used their labour models, I suppose, during the, the time of COVID. And then some people really keen, as was talked about on the day, to update them. You can't argue that the way we work today is different than pre-COVID. Things have changed, things have evolved. Some of that is because of COVID, some of that isn't. You just have to look at a supermarket now and there's much less man checkout space, mm. lots more self-scan, self-pay, self-checkout. The way we maybe replenish stock has just started to migrate more and more towards shelf-ready packaging and you've then got all the environmental impacts of the biodegradable packaging and planet-friendly packaging, which means things are, are different sizes, different shapes. So that that may be not a COVIDism, but it's just part of the natural evolution. Mm. And again, go around your supermarket, your butcher's counter is probably not there. You maybe the baker's there. Your deli counter might be slightly differently, maybe more space given over to different things. So the proposition's changed. The way we shop's changed. Clearly, there was that whole online rise, which is now plateaued off. So is any good practice, you should be maintaining that labor model and updating it. And it, as you said, Ollie, some people have rebased the whole thing. Some have just rebased some principles, but if you've not given your model an MOT, it should be something you should be thinking about. And and not just because of COVID, it should be something that happens, you know, once a year, once every six months you need to look. Because if that labour model's drifting from reality, then guess what? Whatever operation you run is going to be tricky for the colleagues to deliver the strategic intent that you're looking to do via it. Yeah, absolutely. So as you say, the world is continually evolving, not just COVID, but things like, you know, the shift to online, depending on what segment you're in, of course, what sector. And, you know, if, if you let your labor model, your productivity model, your resourcing plan, whatever it is that you are calling it in your organization, that whole workforce management plan, shall we say, if that is out of date, being able to deliver the operating model and the customer experience that you are trying to do and all of your colleagues in stores, in warehouses, wherever, what they're trying to do as well, it's just going to become impossible. So I think exploring a new or certainly bang up to date labor model, productivity model, whatever it is that you call it, like I say, is absolutely a, a great idea and will help actually identify a number of different opportunities as well as you realize what the actual operation looks like and where essentially the labor costs are being spent. And the only thing I'd add to that, Oliver, is with the current climate, and I know we'll touch on that maybe a bit later, if you're making big strategic business decisions around increasing labor, reducing labor, changing roles, removing roles, adding roles in, you want to do it off a solid foundation, not something that's two, three, four <laughs> <Yes>. years old, because <laughs> you, you're changing people's jobs and lives for some of these decisions. So you need to be confident that you're making it based on solid, up-to-date data so that that's fair for the colleagues and also fair for your customers. That's an extremely good point, Simon. Thank you very much for adding that in. The next item, which we, again, we touched on, but didn't really have time to explore was around change capacity. And this this is really important. There's loads of change going on right at the moment. And as I was mentioning in the, the previous episode of the Retail Transformation Show, actually, if you 
over exceed the amount of change that you are doing right now. You end up in overwhelm and you end up in all sorts of challenge because there's just just too much going on. People's heads are full at the best of times and you're adding even more in there. What are your thoughts on change capacity, Simon? I think it's a fact of modern life that things, and I always kind of like to use evolution versus revolution. I, I don't think we have much revolution anymore. I just think we evolve and, and, and certainly in a retail hospitality world, we evolve quicker. So there's there's more constant change happening. I think you're absolutely right. There comes a point when if you take into account lots of the external factors that are happening, so low unemployment, so high high turnover in lots of organizations as people can get better paid jobs or more security of hours per week. Change is tricky to land and the more change you do, even more tricky to land because the people you're training today, probably 50, 60, 70% of those aren't here in a mm. year. So simplifying that change, simplifying the training and reducing the volume potentially will help it land better. Otherwise, you're probably in a constant world of retraining, retraining, retraining that just becomes cyclical because we've got 70% of people that weren't here 12 months ago. And yes, that's all they've ever known, but somebody's still got to show them how to use the equipment or follow the process or the journey, whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. Should we move on to the next item, Simon? We've got we've got loads yep. to get through. So the next one is one that really made me smile, actually. And that is the concept of a slam dunk. So this was used with regard to really making sure that you're getting the best bang for your buck on the project, making sure that you are choosing the change initiatives, the improvements that, as the name suggests, are slam dunks. And I think, you know, let's just think about, a, you know, basketball slam dunk here, because I think it's actually a great term because, it, you know, what's a basketball slam dunk? Well, firstly, it's pretty predictable because... You are holding the ball all the way through to the end. You are going to make sure that the score goes on the board by plunging that through the hoop. It's also, it's gradually upping the score a slam dunk. So in basketball, it's worth a couple of points. You're not going for the glory. You're not going for the long distance shot that is worth more points. But you're saying, you know what? In a slam dunk, I want to make sure I want to put the, put the points on the board, like I say, in a predictable way in a gradual way that allows us to continue to keep up the momentum, which is certainly something I was speaking about on the day as well. So I think this slam dunk mentality, as we go into this period of continued uncertainty, continued financial challenge and turmoil, slam dunks has to become something that we do just as standard, frankly. I th still think it's worthwhile going for the occasional three-pointer from, uh, from, from distance, You've got to make sure that you are gradually upping the score. You can't just sit there and lob the lob the ball and hope for the best, right? What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a three point is the glory shot, isn't it? It goes in second before the buzzer goes, <laughs> and you're the hero because you've won the game. But probability wise, what you're going to hit five out of ten. So, are you prepared to fail fifty percent of the time and win fifty percent of the time? And it's risk, isn't it? So that risk probably comes at a cost individually company-wise and that cost can be career status it can be financial it can be impact on colleagues and and customers so there's a, a risk is it calculated if you're going for three pointers i'd argue and a 50 50 percent ratio maybe not so that that slam dunk is the, it's the result isn't it it's a given i'm going to navigate through the field going to rise up put the ball in the in the hoop and i'm done so i i know what i'm getting i think the the challenge is 
where is the next slam dunk or the next two or three slam dunks that you can go for rather than reverting to the three-pointer. And, you know, in in basketball, you don't want to be going for the three-pointer where you do have those seconds ticking down against the clock, perhaps, and you are going for the lob. And by the way, Simon, you clearly haven't played basketball against me. 50%. Success rate. I'd, I'd, I thought I'd go for like good. 1%. I thought that was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, need to get my practice in, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Another great phrase which also made me smile on the day was that of the feeling of being on the hamster wheel. Simon, why did this phrase resonate for you? Again, it came out of the day, really, that the opportunity was for people to get out the office. You know, we asked people to be present in the room and... If they need you to take a business call, fine, that, that's just part of the world. But when you're in the room, be there, don't be checking Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or whatever. Again, I think it was maybe the first, second, third time for a lot of people they'd been out of the office for a while or out of home working if they'd not been in the office in that hybrid scenario. And it was an opportunity for people to look around. We've talked about kind of resonating with other people about the spirit of connection and everybody being in the same place. Because otherwise you get sucked into turn on your laptop, do your meetings, do your emails, turn off your laptop, check your phone, come back the next day, turn on your laptop, do your meetings, do your email, turn off your phone. And it, it can be very, very cyclical. Mm. Yeah, you're dealing with different people in different conversations, but actually the rhythm the rhythm is the same every day. And we need to try and break, break some of that, don't we? We need to get back to habits of visiting stores and being with different groups of people, being in different parts of the country, because that's where you get the energy and the the ideas rather than just being in the routine yeah no absolutely for, for me it was really interesting because actually again if you take the literal sense of being a hamster on a wheel right what what does that mean it means you're you're running at pace but you're kind of not going anywhere it's a never-ending loop that you could just keep going but it's also difficult to stop certainly if you're not slowing down if you're going to try and dismount you know channeling my inner hamster here if you're trying to dismount at speed i imagine that that might not be so pretty so uh so delicate but as as we think you know where where are we right now it's sort of mid-october we're going into a really critical peak that is going to be tough trading i don't think anyone is perhaps not leaning into that but that tough trading condition is likely to continue into next year which we'll come to in just a moment but it is easy to to sit on the hamster wheel, keep going, keep doing the same things. As you say, you know, we spoke about sitting in the proverbial cupboard a little earlier on. And actually, how can you inspire new thinking? How can you get out, talk outside of the four walls of your organisation, connect with others that have a good viewpoint of the rest of the industry, connect with others that can help you, for example. And I think that's a great mentality to go into rather than that never ending not going anywhere feeling right, which which can be dangerous, particularly at the moment, like I say. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think that kind of leads us into finding people, the right calibre of people, attitude, culture. Lots of talk on the day, wasn't there, around how difficult it is to attract and retain people. I don't know if you're still seeing that from all the people you're speaking to. A- absolutely. Calibre is a really interesting point, again, it raised up in the day, thinking about the skill sets, there are some key skill sets across all of the organization that are really required at the moment, particularly digital skills, for example, but also things like data and analytics skills, people leadership skills as well, by the way, loads of different things. But I think it's also important to think about 
the attitudes and the culture that we're wanting to build up as well at the same time. It's not just about hard skills, but as we're going into periods of volatility, things like adaptability are going to be critically important to think, what is an adaptable person? What does that mean? What do I look for if I am recruiting someone? How do I develop that within my team if I am looking to to, to build those adaptability skills? And then from a culture perspective, building a high caliber culture, what does that mean? We're, We're always talking about building successful cultures, but I think it's worthwhile revisiting some of those conversations, depending on wherever you've got to with those in your company, within your team, etc. Because it is changing and that sort of adaptability, flexibility, whatever you want to call it, is an important element. How do you bring that into the culture as well as other aspects like digital familiarity, data savviness, etc. are key to think about right now. Yeah, and I think it's interesting as as we speak, you'd hope that most of the people we work with or everybody who's got their plan in place for peak prepped ready to go or you know stock coming in and all that kind of stuff and more than ever this year I've already seen lots of organizations saying that they're going to close on boxing day for the wellness of their colleagues Mm. so it's clearly top of mind as, as well as customers that looking after colleagues through this period is critical to keep them to maintain that balance but also again you know in the in the the week that we are today that people are pushing pay rises again. So they think some of the supermarkets will come out with a second pay rise this year and other organizations. So it's clearly, clearly as top of mind as health and safety, customer and colleague than it than it's ever mm. been uh, because of the situation that uh, we find ourselves in with the lowest number of vacant jobs for the last, I think, is it 20, 25 years? Yeah, absolutely. In particular, having had the workforce changes through covid particularly a number of people deciding actually, you know what, I'm going to take early retirement and so on. We're in a tough place with regard to resourcing across the whole organisation, both from a number of people as well as a skill set and attitude perspective as well. But the cost of living crisis is just one of the big unknowns and big challenges facing retailers right now. What are some of the other unknowns that we need to face into, Simon, right now? I think you've got two kind of big looming ones on the horizon. I that there's a whole Russia-Ukraine thing, which plays out in, carries on for the next 10 years and is in the background or something unfortunately spectacular happens and, and it's over and done. I have no opinion really on either which way mm. it'll go, but we shall see. Time will tell us. COVID. So again, you know, lots of reports in the news about cases rising hospital beds being fuller, maybe different strains, not as much uptake on the the booster vaccination for potentially that, that for those that need it. On a much smaller scale, I think it would be really interesting to see how Black Friday pans out. Are people going to go early to get the cash in the bank at a lower margin? Yep. Or actually, will they hold their nerve, see how the sales go and maybe go early with the sale pre-Christmas or actually hold their nerve even more and go with potentially more stock and less margin after Christmas. And I think we'll see people do all sorts of different things. Talked about recruitment. And the other thing which seems to have dropped off the agenda slightly, and that may, that may be unfair to some organizations, is the whole cost of sustainability. Yeah. So, you know, we saw all those large organizations come out with their pledges for 2025 that kind of got pushed back to 2030. Electric fleets, packaging, materials, waste, 
all that kind of stuff. And I, I am sure there's lots of people working on it, so I don't want to do them a disservice. It's just from a headline point of view, drop down the headlines with all the other stuff going on so that at some point we'll come back. But all that comes at a cost, doesn't it? Absolutely. Just on that sort of that sustainability challenge, yes, there will be lots of people working on it. But if the board's attention is not focused on that, it's going to drop down the quite literal agenda of board meetings, etc., down to almost the, you know, the final agenda item, which might get pushed if you're running over, blah, blah. But actually, it's important because without that focus from the top level, it's easy that sponsorship can just evaporate away on something like sustainability. And, you know, over the past few years, we've made such great inroads. It would be a real shame to let that dissipate and let let the good people of, that are focused on sustainability, you know, either, either get re-resourced into other sectors or other industries, perhaps. But also, you know, what's the cost on the world, right? The cost of not driving these through these sustainability things. Goodness, what, what, what does that what does that mean for the, the world in 2050? I mean, I know it feels like a long way off, but we'll be there in no time at all, I'm sure. And yeah, we can't let that one slip in my mind. No, I agree. And the more it slips, the more costly it becomes financially and to the, the environment, doesn't it? But I mean, anecdote from me, I walk, was in, where was I? Anyway, doesn't matter. I was somewhere, let's say, in the UK, and we won't name the, the retailer. But they'd obviously decided to change their opening hours and shorten the opening hours of the store. But what they'd not done is correlated that with when the lights come on and off. <laughs> So store, store's closed, all the lights are still on, shiny bright. So you think, yes, you've saved some labour, but actually all the other costs are still happening because you, you know, you're powering the tills, you're powering the lights, you're powering the displays, you're powering the menu boards as a hint that it might have been a fast food-ish type retailer. So that was really interesting to me of there's a whole cycle of stuff you need to do when you're going to change your opening hours and now maybe that was a change because of customer habits maybe it was a change because of uh, staffing costs maybe it's a change because of footfall whatever but it's not as simple as just saying well we now close it at seven and we used to close at 10. Yeah absolutely I personally had the image in my mind of all the customers sitting in the dark store <laughs> yeah <laughs> go the yeah. other way <laughs> no it wasn't it wasn't that way it might be easier to solve yeah I mean that but, one yeah. that would attract a lot of attention right and it would be like you can't you know have customers sitting here in the dark right but actually it's a, it's a good good example if it was that way it would be fixed right first time failure fixed the other way around it could go unnoticed for months maybe years right for for it gets amended and that's i suppose where our our focus our priority needs to, to to shift somewhat not saying that we shouldn't focus on customers but we also need to focus on on the environment as well yeah absolutely i think that kind of segues us into next year doesn't it so those challenges are going to remain aren't they in the short term like i said yeah if Christmas if Christmas sales are poor and people do batten down the hatches, energy just becomes overbearing. Am I left with a lot of stock that I've then got to distribute out, sell in the sale, yeah. a massive margin hit? Plus, everyone's going to be thinking about new budgets, aren't they? Whether they are now for next year or if your year starts in February or April or whenever it does, everybody's going to be thinking, you know, where are the slam dunks where can we get off the hamster wheel and do something mm. differently where are the odd risky three pointers that i might go for because i yeah one thing's for sure isn't it that 
people are going to be strapped for cash in January and February. They always are. And maybe 2023, it's even slightly more acute yeah, than normal. Yeah, particularly with obviously electricity bills and gas bills coming through at that time. Obviously, the cost of Christmas is expensive for everyone's pocket. But from a, a retail business's perspective, there's a big unknown around, around Christmas performance in my mind because of the different trading strategies and tactics that could be employed and how responsive and reactive you are to your competitors and the wider market. So I think that's a big unknown, if I'm honest. <laughs> all, yep, all bets yep. are off there from my perspective. And that leads to lots of unknowns going into next year. You know, what's the level of stock that you're going to have? Are you going to need to do some big clearance events in January if you've held off and had poor sales? Or actually, have you managed to trade quite successfully through and you're on plan? And what are you going to do? Are you going to be able to bring stock forward? We've still got supply chain challenges that exist within the world, but also supply chain risks that exist, you know, inspired particularly by Ukraine and goodness knows what other crazy events will follow through in 2023 as well, of course. And I think as you think about those new budgets, you know, is it going to be the fact that your your budget is going to be extremely challenging on sales and extremely challenging on costs? For me, all indications point to, yes, you're going to get both of those challenges. So how are you going to grow or minimize the shrinkage of the business from the, from the top line? And how are you going to secure the bottom line through effective cost management, through productivity options, through streamlining different parts of the business, perhaps through trimming different parts of the business as well, of course. And I think that means there's lots of known unknowns, as we've spoken about already, and definitely lots to be thinking about with regard to driving productivity and driving transformation. Simon, anything else yep. in store for 2023? Well, we're going to do it again. So productivity and transformation 2023 is work in progress. I think we can say it's going to be roughly around the same date. So all that will be communicated out hopefully in the next couple of weeks so we can get it locked in people's diaries and uh, build up a good agenda for the next session. Absolutely. Well, the feedback from the event was fantastic. And that has driven that decision, right? That productivity and transformation will continue to 2023. And that's incredibly exciting from my point of view. So yeah, looking forward. Yep. Watch this space, as they say. Well, Simon, thank you so much. It's been fantastic, as I say, building up the inaugural Productivity and Transformation event, but also for, for catching up regularly here on the podcast. It's been one of many wonderful conversations with you over the past few months, for sure. No, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, look forward to, to future chats. Thanks, Simon. Take care, Ali.